So we're continuing the series that Chris started last week in Colossians. A letter written by Paul to a church in a city in modern-day Turkey, which was past its heyday and had become something of a bit of a backwater. In the first part of the letter, Paul commends the church for its faith in Christ and the hope of the gospel, which has been transformational. This church has been known for its love that overflowed so much that Paul commends them for it. And he prays in verse 9 of the first section of this letter for wisdom and understanding, for patience, endurance and strength for this church as he reminds them that God, their heavenly father, has rescued them from the dominion of darkness by which he means the world and transferred them into the kingdom of the son he loves, the one who has made their forgiveness possible, the source of their redemption. Last week, our focus was on how to put our faith into action, how to live out our identity as the redeemed people of God in the way that this church were known for doing through their love for each other. And today in this section, we see Paul moving into a description of this beloved son he's just been talking about, the one who has redeemed them, who's made forgiveness available. So it's all about Jesus. It's a long, slow, hard look at who Jesus is in Paul's eyes. Our society has quite an interesting response to Jesus, mostly positive, actually. C.S. Lewis famously presented the trilemma that Jesus was either mad, bad, or God. There was a brief flowering of atheism from writers like Richard Dawkins and the late Christopher Hitchens in the last 20 years or so, but the tide is actually turning. And according to a Barna survey reported in Christianity Today from last year, this is surveying teenagers around the world, it revealed positive attitudes towards Jesus. Nearly 25,000 teenagers aged between 13 and 17, spanning different faith groups, and 26 countries were surveyed. Around half of them, 49%, described Jesus as loving and offering hope. Um, two in five, 43%, said he cares about people. And over a third said he was trustworthy, that's 39%, and generous, 37%. Interesting statistics, aren't they? Nearly half, 47%, believe he was crucified, and a third believed that he rose again, although this fell among teens of different faiths. And when they were asked what best described their understanding of who Jesus is, the largest share of teens, 31%, said he was God in human form. The musician Keith Green, who some of you may have known, um, describes his own journey to faith in Christ through metaphysics and Eastern religions. I'm hoping we have a little video clip of him describing how he came to faith. I didn't even know I was Jewish until I was about 12 years old. <laughs> and uh, I was brought up with like the teachings of Jesus plus the teachings of metaphysics and different things and all kind of mixed together in a blender kind of a thing. And, uh, uh, then all my relatives were Jewish, and, and uh, uh, on the West Coast especially, the Judaism, unless it's Orthodox, is real just, you know, bar mitzvahs, funerals, weddings, and uh, Yom Kippur, and uh, Passovers, you know, that's it, you know. 
And uh, so I, I'd, I'd go to uh, Seder's, which is the, uh, the practice of uh, the Passover feast and, the, and the, the dinner with the bitter herbs and the matzah and the lamb and, and all that stuff. Uh, with relatives, and I, I just I didn't understand what was going on, you know, because I wasn't brought up really uh, in anything but you know metaphysics, which was uh, mind over matter. Yeah, the, just positive thinking and uh, no doctors and the whole thing, you know. And uh, uh, so when I was about 15, I 16, I rebelled against everything that I was brought up in because it was so confusing, you know. I I didn't really have any kind of a base, a foundation. Uh, you know, because I, I was brought up, they were telling me that I really didn't have a body, you know. <laughs> and, you know, it, although I clothed it and fed it, it wasn't real, you know. And I was just walking around going, you know, what am I doing here, you know. So I, I went the whole route of uh, the young people uh, today, and especially then on the West Coast, you know, went to the drugs and Eastern religion and meditations and yoga and, and all these different things that uh, I figured were going to satisfy me. And, and they did for hours or days at a time. But then I'd always come down and, you know, go, well, that's, that didn't do it. Because I always knew that when I'd find true happiness and peace, it would last. And so you were just always searching, searching, oh, searching. Oh, crazy. Yeah. And uh, I searched with my whole heart. And uh, in all the Eastern religions and all the cults and all the world religions, they always gave some credit to Jesus Christ. The Muslims say that he was a, uh, a prophet. Uh, the Krishnas say that he was an incarnation of the Godhead in his age. Uh, Yogananda and all these different Eastern teachers said that he had Christ consciousness. You know, they always use words like Christ consciousness, Christ this, Jesus that. Uh, the Buddhists would even say he was a Buddha. You know, he was a, another incarnation of God like Buddha was. And uh, in all my searchings, I, I saw that all these people were pointing to Jesus. They're going, well, yeah, Jesus is one of the ways, but we're one of the ways. And they wouldn't all agree on anything except that Jesus was one of the ways. And then I looked into the Bible in uh, John chapter 14, I think it is, or John chapter 6. Yeah, it's 6, where he says, uh, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. So they all gave him credit, and he only gave himself credit. And I went, well, that kind of eliminates everybody. They all say he's cool. And, and he says he's the only one that's going to get you there, so I guess I'm safe. So I started praying to Jesus. Can we pause it there? I, I did this all through intellectual reasoning and laid it out on the table. Thank you. That was a longer clip than I, was, than I had planned, but you get the idea. All the, other, all the other religions point to Jesus as one of the ways, but they say we're also a way, whereas Jesus only credited himself. And the logic of that led Keith Green. I know you can see how old this clip is from the kipper ties and the, and the phone ringing in the background. But it's still true. It's still the truth. Most of the major religions in the world will all give some hat tip to Jesus. But Jesus only hat tips himself. But look at the claims that Paul makes in the passage we're looking at today. And I invite you to turn back there. I think it was page 954 in the Church Bibles. There's no room in Paul's descriptions for the mild, neutral option of saying that Jesus is one of the ways, or a good teacher, or a wise man. This is not a description either of a flash-in-the-pan, short-lived celebrity, not a social influencer, not a reality show contestant made good. 
No, let's look at verse 15. He is described here as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of the creation, the one through whom everything was made. In the heavens and on the earth. Which is Paul's way of saying everything, everywhere. He was right, if he was writing it now, he might have said in the multiverse as well. All that is visible and invisible. And every platform, every sphere of influence, every person of leadership, anyone with any position, in other words, nothing that we see is authoritative exists outside of Jesus. You might recognize some of these words from the creeds that we say regularly in church, where we say that we describe God as the maker of all things, seen and unseen, Jesus as his only begotten son through whom all things were made. And what we have in the first section of today's passage reads a bit like a creed up to verse 20. And in some manuscripts, some of the Greek manuscripts, those first few lines are laid out like a poem, actually, or like a hymn. Scholars think that Paul has either written or adapted an existing hymn about Jesus to help him to speak to this church about who Jesus is. But the language is big, like the language that the writer of Hebrews gave us that Chris read to us at the beginning of the service. The concepts are massive. The firstborn over all creation simply means that he was there first, before anything else was. He was the one through whom everything else was made. The image of the invisible God. Jesus was not an invention, an intervention in response to our disobedience. He was involved in creating us, in creating Adam and Eve and everything else. And scholars argue from this passage, and also from the passage that we should all know quite well by now, John 1, verse, verse 18, that Jesus is indeed the model on which Adam is built. He is the image of God. We're made to be like Jesus. He is the one who makes God visible. The firstborn from the dead. Weird idea. The dead don't give birth, do they? And yet, he is resurrected from the dead. No one else brought him back from the dead. He came back from the dead without help from anyone, pointing towards a possibility that simply did not exist before, an indestructible life. As a piece of writing, it communicates greatness, concepts, ideas, almost at the edge of our language. It tells us that Paul wants the Colossian church to know that Jesus is it. He is the one and only. He is the greatest from eternity to eternity, forever and ever, without rival, without equal. He is, he is God. There's no hedging your bets to see if someone else or something else better will turn up. Jesus is the way. Paul tells us here that Jesus enables everything to exist that exists. He holds everything together. The fullness of God resides in Jesus. His blood, his body, his death on the cross has cosmic, eternal significance 
It reconciles those who were once enemies. That means us and God, because we were once enemies in our rebellion, in our rejection of him. But Jesus' body, his blood and his death have brought peace between us. This passage is one of the most lyrical, majestic and expansive descriptions of the divinity and stature and meaning and significance of Jesus in all of Paul's writing. His identity and his life and his death, everything about him has huge meaning. Not just for his little band of followers or the crowds that followed him around to see what miracles he was going to do or what amazing teaching he was going to bring, not just for the Romans who were dragged into the weird, gory drama of his death, but for all people at all times, in all places, forever. This is big Jesus. This is an invitation to let Jesus be transfigured in our minds, to allow him to stand to his full height, to fill our vision, our imagination, There is no one equal to him on the earth. There is no one equal to Jesus in history. The only only entities equal to him are the co-members of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. In terms of God made visible, God made flesh, God taking up residence on earth and making the Father known and sending the Spirit, there is only Jesus. But why is Paul spelling all this out to the Colossians? A church that we heard last week is known for her faith in Christ and the outworking of that faith and her hope in her love for all the believers. Well, the clue is in verses 22 to 23. Let's turn there again together. Actually, I'll go from verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant." I wonder if you heard it. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. We were once alienated from God because of our own evil behavior, but God has reconciled us through Christ's physical body to present us Holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. But only if we continue in our faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. That if implies that there's some doubt about that in the Colossian church. He could have said, as you continue in your faith, But it seems that whatever the issue is in Colossae, it means that the gospel of 
the person and the work of Jesus is not enough for the Colossian church or the church in the neighboring city of Laodicea, which Paul also wants to get this letter. We'll see in the coming weeks what the Colossian church is being invited to add to the gospel of Christ. But whatever it is, our focus today is on Paul's response. He doesn't pitch straight into whatever it is they're being distracted by or go into a list of what they shouldn't be doing. But instead, he shines the spotlight on Jesus. He wants them to know and assimilate and understand precisely who Jesus is. This is foundational. If they don't get to grips with this, the Colossian church is vulnerable to deception, to being misled and drawn away from the central truth of the gospel, which is the person of Christ. So in response to hearing that they're being led astray, Paul presents to them a glorious vision of who Jesus is. Do you have a glorious vision of Jesus? Do you see him as the turning point in history, the proof and evidence of God's love for the whole world? Is he as big as this in your mind? Is he as scary as this in your mind? As powerful as this? As able as this? Does this description match your understanding of Jesus? This is not your cross-stitched, meek and mild Jesus. This is, this is big, big Jesus. He is the focal point of our lives, of all reality, the one who holds everything together. He is supreme. Is this the Jesus that you pray to? that you trust in? If not, how might it change the way you pray, the way you see yourself? You might recall in previous weeks hearing about this same Jesus wanting us to be with him where he is. Wanting us to see the glory that he had with the Father before the creation of the world. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? this same supreme being inviting us to pray to the Father in the same way that he knows the Father and to share in the love that he has with the Father. Like the Colossian church, we need to know and assimilate who Jesus is. It is foundational for us. If we don't get to grips with this, we too are vulnerable to deception to being misled, drawn away from the central truth of the gospel, which is the person of Christ. That he is enough, our all-sufficient saviour. If we don't get to grips with this, we can forget that we have a mighty and a powerful God who loves us and came here to prove it to us. And the way to do that is to do what we're told in verse 23. To continue in our faith, 
established and firm and not move from the hope held out in the gospel. If you're anything like me, you love change. I love change. I love rearranging furniture. When I had hair, which is a long story I'll tell you someday, I loved rearranging my hair. I'm sure lots of you love having new haircuts. We love change. We watch renovation shows on TV, don't we? If it's not the house, it's the garden, it's the bathroom, it's the face, it's the body, it's the clothes. We just love things to change. And what Paul is telling us to do here just feels a bit like, "Mm, just carrying on, you know, the same old, same old. Sounds boring, doesn't it? But the alternative, losing our way, shipwrecking our lives, is perhaps not attractive either. I'm sure we all know people, those of us who have faith, will have people in our lives who perhaps started out on the journey with us who no longer have a faith. Really, really terrifying thing to see. And we need to heed this advice. God is faithful. And as we continue in our faith, established and firm, knowing who Jesus is, he will help us to keep going. And let me also tell you that it's not boring. Life with God is the last, is the furthest thing from boring you can imagine. Come talk to me sometime, or anyone who you know who is a Christian. They will tell you that life with God is not boring. It's a great adventure, actually, as he unpacks more and more about who he is and what that means for our lives. But we need to be deliberate about it. We need to be intentional about it. We don't just drift. We need to find the ways that help us to stay faithful, established and firm with Christ at the centre. And I'm going to leave us, not with a prayer, but with a song. And while this song plays, I just want you to Yeah, just have a good listen and think about your vision of Jesus and whether it matches this vision of Jesus.